Hi, this is Charlie from the Thriving School Community Podcast, and we have Shyla Webb here today. We're going to talk all about calm in the classroom. So welcome, Shyla. I'm glad you're here. Thanks. Oh, thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Yeah. It, You know, it is such a pleasure. And when we were talking before we were recording and talking about calm, like anybody who knows you, Shyla, it's just you already create that sense of peace for people. And I can't wait to dive into how you with your background created calm and why that was so important for kids in the classroom and by the way, educators, but intuition. And I know that's a piece we need to, to link into. So let's start here. Tell people what your background is because they need to know the different roles that you've played in order to bring this insight today. Oh, sure. Okay. I started as a special education paraprofessional working with the high school students, the students with emotional behavioral disorders in the resource room and setting three classroom. Went from there into the classroom, worked uh, probably about 15, 17 years um, as a special education teacher, as a resource room, primarily in elementary grades, and then worked on different leadership assignments, um, teacher on special assignments, being the geek behind the scenes, looking at the data, things like that. And then um, I spent a few years as a special education administrator. And my background is not only just with students with emotional behavioral disorders, but autism, as well as learning disabilities, and have done a lot on multi-tiered system of supports, as well as the RTI. Okay, so you, everyone listening, you can understand the amazing background you have in order to speak to this. Let's talk about those tiered systems real quick. Mm -hmm. what, what are the strengths of those systems and what are the flaws or the shortcomings? Oh, good question. Um, well, okay. So when looking at the tiered model, we're looking at the baseline. It's really that assumption that one size fits all. And we know that one size isn't going to fit all. So then we address those students that need more higher level of services. Um, what I think the downfall has been lately in education is we have come up with so much um, interventions that are evidence-based and we look for the research and we, of course, we want the things that have evidence behind them, right? Those strategies that are guaranteed to work. But the reality is, is that it's not always guaranteed to work. And we take this from a program, let's say I've had books that have the evidence-based strategy or the intervention that needs to be done. We'll take it from a book. If, if this student shows this, then try this strategy. Oh, yep, that's the one. I take it and it doesn't work. And it's because it maybe truly didn't align who I was as a teacher and my ability to follow through and even lead the intervention, or it didn't align with what the student actually needed. And so that's where I think we, we take out our um, instinct, our human instinct or the intuition part to see like, okay, what, what does the student really, really need? What are they asking for in their behavior? Um, and how, how do we tailor it individualized for that? So I think that I love the RTI. I can eat and sleep it. I mean, I get really excited about MTSS and all of that. But we, you know, and while it's a structure, I think it's a framework, that's it. It is not the end-all be-all. And that, I would say that's the drawback is some of us see it as the end-all be-all. This is what we have to do. And it and sometimes it can feel really rigid because of the federal and state mandates that have been passed down to us and those expectations. It feels like we have to do this six-week intervention. Well, no, if it's a disaster after week three, we get to own that. We get to say we missed the target here and we're going to shift accordingly because that's truly what's best for the student. Wow, that's so important for people to hear because 
you you mentioned that it's so it could be rigid. It could be rigid. It feels rigid. And then I think there's just so much overwhelm when you're you're trying those things and they're not working. You're like, but I'm doing these things that they're telling me, right? Like that goes back to your point. And so let's go let's go to intuition here then. I think that is a major piece when you have all this programming like we do in our schools today that by the way, we're still in a mental health crisis uh, in a lot of varying degrees and we're still there. So whatever we're doing now and traditionally have done, it's not working. It's just not solving all the problems we need them to do. So let's go to intuition. How do you use intuition uh, as a as a means to get set up that calming environment for kids? And maybe there's actually more to it. Go ahead though. Yeah. Okay. So I think that again, we have the cognitive structure to ourselves. We, we know what's to be true, what we've been trained and taught. And then everyone can think of a time where you've walked in the room and you can just feel like something's off. You have no idea what happened right before you got there, but it just feels different. It feels like something's not right. Or most teachers or educators can think of a time when they worked with a, a student and just something felt off and then come to find out it really was but they didn't trust it because it was so abstract and it wasn't concretely there. There was no solid evidence. And so then we get up into our cognitive brain and say, oh, I must be just thinking of things or I must be paranoid or, oh, there's nothing there. And we talk ourselves out of it. And I truly believe we have to follow that feeling. So I'm going to give you a situation where I had a student that kept coming to my classroom early. She was scheduled for reading to be with me. I wasn't the case manager. She kept showing up. The case manager wrote a behavior plan for her, had this whole structure in place, still wasn't working. And her teacher, her classroom teacher was getting mad because she was just leaving, coming. And I just was like, what is this? And I let it go. And all of a sudden I was like, she doesn't know how to tell time. Hmm. That was it. I went to Walmart that morning before work, bought her a digital watch. She didn't know how to tell time on the analog clock. Oh my goodness. It all of a sudden came to me, but there was no evidence. You know, most of us would want to go to school first, ask the student, and it was just so clear and loud to me. Yeah. I followed it. And sure enough, after that, she showed up for reading exactly on time. And that's all it was. It wasn't a behavior choice, but people really felt like that's what it was. And so there are those moments we can all think of that. And we didn't follow up on it. Um, and so we have to acknowledge that we have our cognitive body, we have the physical body, but we also have an energetic body that picks up on those nuances about behavior or what people truly need. And we have to follow that in order. And, and that's what, to me, truly tailors to a student's individual needs or a community's individual needs as well. Wow. Imagine if we were all more in tune like that. And, and that is just so important. And then we're able to kind of brush aside ourselves and just shift our thinking a little bit. What is one of the strategies you actually teach when you're working with people in schools or anybody that you're working with adults um, who are supposed to respond to students in a way to make them feel safe? What do you like? What strategy might you use to teach them that? To make them feel safe? Well, it all depends on what the student needs or what they're demonstrating. But my very first recommendation is less, less is more. We've gotten overindulged with, we need these fidgets, we need this, we need this data point, we need, we are so heavy with resources that I think we are overwhelming ourselves as well as the student. What happens anytime we're in overwhelm, 
we start feeling it, our body gives off that energy, the mirror neurons, the student will pick that up or vice versa. If the student's overwhelmed and highly stressed, my body will start picking that up too. We're exchanging that. We don't need to talk. We don't need to show any behavior. We could be frozen and feeling highly stressed. I'm going to, we're going to pick that up and exchange that information. And so I think for ourselves, we can recognize what's happening, how our external world is impacting our internal world being really, really intentional, slowing down. If I slow down my breathing, my voice automatically slows down. My voice actually comes lower if I slow down my breathing. One of the fastest ways to get a hold of our nervous system is through the breath and really to slow it down and be super intentional. When I'm very intentional about my breath and completely in tune to my body, I actually am then very intentional with how I'm interacting with the students. It gives me that moment to pause. The other part that's going to happen is the student's going to start mirroring just naturally. So if I want a student to breathe, you know, they're getting heightened and I can see that. A lot of times we'll prompt a student, take a deep breath. Well, who wants to hear someone tell you to take a deep breath when you're super stressed? Not me. It actually right. makes me even more mad. Right. So use a different word there. But it'll agitate me even more. Like, don't tell me what to do. That's our natural human response. That's the natural defense system that we will just pull out. But honestly, if I if I go with the student and have the safe stance, not directly at them, but come at the angle, you know, a CPI or programs like that, a train, mm -hmm. and I just slowly start taking in deep breaths so the student can hear me and see me and that's it, and really say nothing, what will happen is usually the behavior de-escalates pretty fast. Now, this is on those earlier on stages as they're getting heightened. This isn't when they're now in a fall all-out rage. Right. That's the difference. So what do you tell someone then if they're in the midst because they've already crossed that line, they are all heightened, the kid is heightened, what strategy might you use there? Disrupt the pattern. Disrupt, disrupt, disrupt. And so any time that we can do that in a way that is fun, creative, to grab the student's attention, and this isn't, a lot of times people will say, well, now you're going to reward the student. No, not at all. There will be follow through, and I always follow through. I always follow through with expected behavior and make sure that that student knows that and doing the repair that's needed from the outburst. But in the moment, we need to get control of the situation. We can't go in with a physical hold most times, and we shouldn't, mm -hmm. really. What we need to do is um, we can do creative things. So like in my classroom, I used to, I had access to the screen, and I would play something like a fainting goat. Mm -hmm. And next thing I know, I got students turning to the screen, like they're in a, a screaming match. And next thing, they're really <laughs> curious about these fainting goats or... <laughs> Something like um, Venus flytraps to watch them them up close. And all of a sudden you got this plant eating something and they're like, what? Plants do that? Yeah, it's a real thing. You get them talking about that for a little bit just to bring them down. Another way to um, completely interrupt the pattern, high school students. I've had high school students, you're up, you know, thank you for your feedback. What? Yeah. Like kids are not used to hearing that. Yeah. Now I'm not saying it's okay to call me that by all means. But just the fact that I was like, thank you for your feedback. It really caught them off guard. And now I have them with me, attentive and aware. Now we can, once they settle down, we can come back to that conversation. Calling me that wasn't appropriate. We follow up, you know, properly and 
and procedurally as we need to with the district or you know the building. But yeah, we're able to then collaborate. So I love I love Shyla that you just said. Uh, that way you keep them with you. So many times they feel like we're against them. And that in itself is a huge problem. And listen, this starts a long time before that moment, right? So let's talk about yeah. that. How do you set it up to so that those situations don't arise in the first place, typically? Um, I would say procedures as much as possible, um, different routines. For the teacher, we really have a lot of control over our environment, um, I know that sometimes we feel like we're powerless and we don't have control, but essentially the classroom should be set up in a way that you can be gone and that students will tell the substitute what to do. That's how I know you have an excellent teacher in there and that those classrooms are the classrooms that tend to thrive. Those are the students that say they feel a sense of safety, sound and security because we all like predictability, right? Yeah. And most of us, while I love change, I get excited about change. I also, when someone tells me big change is happening, I start asking a lot of questions. And that's my nervous system. That's a defense mechanism. And so if we can make it so like literally handing in papers should be the same every single time. They should be able to almost do it like they're blind, like put a blindfold on. They should be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what What are the, the different... Um, ways in which they move to the carpets or they move around the classroom when they don't get it right too we don't scold them it's like I, I used to have a saying in my office as an administrator when all else fails throw your arms up the air and yell plot twist <laughs> <laughs> and anytime we have the plot twist we get to stop pause rewind and do it the expected way and the reason why it's so important to and I'm going to say you're going to get your return on investment there Most of the time I hear, I don't have time. Well, do you have time to follow up with the unexpected behavior, the office referrals, the parent meetings, and the paperwork that comes with that? Because chances are you're going to spend a lot more time doing that than to just, everyone, let's stop. We're going to do this again, and we're going to do it the right way. And you're going to reward, reinforce. And that's really, really important to set your container very solid like that at the beginning of the school year. Again, following any break, make sure you're intentional. Like the first two days that you're back, any long weekend, I would say a five-day break, you're setting that expectation, really, really positively reinforce that expected behavior and do it again throughout the year. We think that just because we do it the first week of school, it's now expected all the, well, how many of us started a diet and two months later, we completely ditched it because we forgot that we were even doing this part of the diet. This is just human nature, right? We all are creatures of habit and we all go back and we can all slip into our own ways. The other thing that I think is really important is that we create a culture that we can give each other feedback. And we start recognizing that when I give you feedback, it's feedback because I love you and I care about you. It isn't because I want to criticize you. And so many of us in today's society take any form of feedback as criticizing. Yeah. And I think creating that culture right up front and our, our kids should be able to give us feedback too, as a teacher. My kids right. were able to say, Miss Webb, you look really tired today. Hmm. And I was able to say, you know what? You're right. Thank you for caring about me. Yeah. And they know you well enough to notice that shift in you. And that's what's neat about it too. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. And if 
because what will happen is they'll they'll pick up that I maybe have an edge to me today that I wouldn't normally have or or tired or something is different. They'll sit there in class and wonder about that then because mm-hmm. our kids care about us. Yeah. And so as a staff member, they're going to wonder if we're okay, especially some of those kids that have parents that have mental health problems or, you know, things happening at home. I, I was a child that had a stepdad going through cancer. Mm-hmm. And so I had that caretaking part of me, you know, I wonder if they're okay. I wonder if everything's all right at home. And I'm focused more on that because I care about the person that I am actually of the assignment. And so that too, if we can label it up front too, kids, I've had a really rough morning this morning and I'm just telling you, I'm a little on edge. Give me a break. I love that. And our toughest kids, my toughest kids on those days are actually by far the best because I've labeled it and named it for them. And the next thing I know, they're now coming into school, labeling it and naming it for me too. I had a tough morning, Mrs. Webb. I need a little grace or I need a little help today. Right. And you just told them, like you just taught them, modeled it, humanized them, like to advocate for themselves for what they need. Like why, why do you think so many teachers, I think I'm, I'm going to say teachers and, but there's leaders who have, who struggle with this too. Why do you think so many of us struggle to do that? Struggle to let our kids in, not too much information, but let them in to give us that information or notice the shift or talk to us to humanize us. Why do you think, I don't know, maybe that's not an issue. Are you seeing it? Oh yeah. I'm seeing okay. that of course. Okay. So, and, and those are things that I discuss when I'm leading professional development as well. Most of us, I mean, from my generation, I'm 45. I was raised with parents that were more of authoritative model. They, that was their, like you respected your elders and mm-hmm. the common, you know, mm-hmm. when I'd ask my mom, well, why did you say no? Cause I said so. And boom, that was it. Right. Yeah. We didn't get all these explanations. (laughs) Right. Right. And, and so I think a lot of us think that that's how it should be. We're taking what we, how we were raised or containers that we went to school in. And now we're carrying that forward. It doesn't match today's kids. It doesn't match even people today. And we know that Um, for many, many years, we ignored our emotional body. So we have our cognitive body. We have our physical body. We have our emotional body. We have our energetic body. We all talk about energy and how depleted we are, but yet we don't really treat our energy body necessarily. We don't talk about our emotional body. And if we could only understand that, you know, and I was also told too, when I got into the career of education, emotions don't, they don't belong at work. Hmm, You keep that separate. Well, you're asking me not to be human. If you want me to keep it separate, my emotions are coming with me right here (laughs) all the time, like it or not, you know, and And while we can pretend they're not here, they really are. And so it's really acknowledging too our emotions are part of our internal compass. They're meant to rise up, give us information and they are meant to pass on out of us within 90 seconds. Mm -hmm. Harvard has done a lot of research around this, but because we don't talk about it, they sit within us, they get bigger, they get louder. And the purpose of them doing that is so that we own it. So mm-hmm. when we own it, you know, Dan, Dr. Daniel Siegel has done a lot, name it to tame it. Um, we need to really just be able to name it and be okay with it. Now, like you said, without overindulging too much information, I think that it's also gone to the other end too. People <laughs> share their emotions and then they get into all the reasons why. And we don't need to get into the story and we shouldn't, especially with kids, but we really shouldn't. 
I don't want to sit in the lounge and hear everyone's stories, their dog days and things like that. That again, mirror neurons, we're going to exchange that. I'm going to leave lunch feeling more stressed than I was before I walked in, mm-hmm. but we can just say, you know, today's overwhelming for me and it feels stinking good to be able to own that with you all. Yes. And to share that space with you when I'm like, think about that trust that you're creating with them, like mm-hmm. for them, the trust that you're creating in that, that space, because that's one conversation I have so many, uh, with so many teachers, even seasoned teachers, when they feel like there's a lot of combat between them and, or authority being challenged. And, uh, it's about the space and the energy. And I'm like, listen, doesn't always have to be foo-foo. It's just, but think about what, what energizes us? You can't have energy without, you know, feeling enthusiasm for what you're doing and, and for the space that you're sharing with other people in it. So let's, let me go to this video that was popping up in my mind when you're talking. Cause I could, I could keep rambling. I'm not going to, there's a video that's, it's kind of recent and it's a teacher with a girl just kind of sitting back in her desk as a teenager. And she's got her foot up on her desk and she threw a shoe at her, at the teacher, the kid threw okay. this, this is a teenager. And it's so hard to watch, but I, I feel, I feel for the teacher for sure. Um, and I don't know what happened before or after that. I just don't know what happened, but what I do know is that there was an assertion of like, you can't do that to me. And I, I feel her frustration because this sounds like it happened before. And then, uh, an SRO came in and then removed the girl essentially. And the girl with Matt was mouthy and, and all of that. There's a couple of things I keep hearing in education when these kind of situations are out there. One, they think, well, what's happening to that student? They didn't get any reprimand for that. They got they they came back to my classroom and I felt threatened by them. I should not have to feel, feel threatened by my students. So let's take that. How do you address teachers who say that? Because they're, that's legitimate. They don't need to feel threatened by their students. So how, how would you respond to that? Well, I agree. We shouldn't feel threatened. I mean, so there's different perspectives here. We get to um, play with our own reality of situations too. And we really have to go, we have to go inside because it really is our internal selves that is dictating the external world. And I fully believe that. Now, I am not saying to the point of someone having a gun to your head or flashing, that's a whole different situation. And you're not going to be able to stop the fight and flight response system, right? But with the shoe part, now, depending on where it went, you know, like head, I'm going to have more of a visceral response, but waist or down below, I probably, at this point, I've worked with my nervous system enough that I can keep very, very stabilized and calm. So it's, it really is. I don't know what happened before this one. This one's really, really tough, but I validate the teacher. The teacher does need to feel very, very safe in in their environment, but that student also needs to feel safe. We all deserve that as human beings and we all thrive and perform our best when we're feeling a sense of safety. So what was that student trying to communicate? Mm -hmm. That's what the throwing the shoe is. It's, it's a form of communication. Mm-hmm. And it might be, um, I've had students that throw shoes, they get their target of where they have to throw the shoe in the classroom then, if if it has to be. But t- typically, we can turn it into something else. We can actually take that behavior and turn it into a more expected behavior. And that's really what should have ideally happened up front, is that this, yeah, whatever the student, how however she's showing the aggressive behavior really should have been shown some very appropriate ways to do that. I'm sure she has. It's 
This one's hard because you're not the one who's in it and neither was I. And and that's the, this is the big problem is we're seeing all these things on social media and there's so much judgment around all of it. And we're missing so much information. We're just missing so much information and we're just judging. But Mm -hmm. I think everybody can understand that, that feeling when you're, when you're in front of this classroom, it could be kindergartners, it could be fifth graders, it could be senior students. Mm -hmm. And you have this sense of, oh my gosh, what happens if they don't do what I ask them to do? Or what happens if they posture over me? You know, like what happened? Cause this stuff is happening. So I know you've dealt a lot with this and whether it's a, a, a kid who has autism or a kid who's struggling that day for lots of reasons, or the teacher is struggling, what is your typical approach uh, with those either conversations? What do you, what do you typically do? I know there's a lot to go on there. Yeah. Okay. So when I worked at the high school and we um, worked specifically with the EBD students, um, what we would do is we actually had a line drawn around our workstation. The kids have their workstation. They have their own workstations and we all respect that space and they, they respect our space. And so before the class, the year even begins, here's the line before you cross the line and you're rewarded by staying outside of that line. And before you cross it, you actually reconnect first because everyone deserves to feel safe. So I never say it's I, it's everyone. And that right there will bring kids in. Those kids that are that are raised in these really volatile home environments, they come in with the mentality of me against you. And that's, they have to, they have to in order to stay safe. And so if I can, again, interrupt their thought process as much as possible, it's a we, it's us. What can we do? How, what do you need to feel safe? What do I need to do to support you feeling safe so that we both feel safe? I always end it with a we, if I am going to bring in you and me, you versus me. So in that situation, when you talk about that, if I were the teacher and caught off guard, the very first thing I do is I got to take a break. Or I might even like, did you mean to do that? We got flying shoes, depending on the situation. Like if it was an Mm -hmm. impulsive student that did it, I would respond like, oh, we got shoes with wings, you know, or something yeah. real off the fly like mm-hmm. that. And then you get the the classroom bringing in input too. Like we can pause sometimes and say, okay, I didn't feel safe right there when that happened. Mm-hmm. Anyone else? Mm-hmm. Or we can, not being the teacher, we can say, all right, we're going to pause for a moment. We got flying shoes. How, what happened when that shoe flew flew past you as a student, tell me what that was like for you, for them to even hear from their own peer feedback. So one of my common phrases is that my job is to keep everyone safe. Yeah. That's what my job is as a parent, my boys, what's my job? To keep us safe. They always, that's the automatic response. It's been since they were like two or three, old enough to say, repeat that phrase. As soon as I show up to work with, I get hired now to work with the most challenging kids that are ready to get out the door. What's my job? To keep keep me safe, keep us safe. And so when they understand where we're coming from that perspective, it's also less threatening. Mm-hmm. And that it's it's everyone involved and that these rules are not to be mean at all. And we can acknowledge that. I know you feel like I'm being mean or I'm being authoritative. And I understand that that's what you're used to, but it really is for the good of the group as well as you too. Yeah. What do you say, Shyla, to teachers who are very stuck in their 
sense of injustice or, or injustice, or they're really stuck in shifting their mentality from a traditional way to maybe the intuitive way. Yeah, that's where um, really the interactive professional development approach, I think the experiential, bringing the activities are really helpful. One activity that um, we do or that I provide is we get to retell a story, a story that really stressed us out and was maybe even somewhat traumatic. I set the stage first. This is for staff, not students. Now, I would bring this into high school students, but only if you have a social worker or counselor working with you on this one, because we are talking about a highly stressful or traumatic situation. Um, they get to retell a story for two minutes on their own. They get to vent. The person listening, they're in partners, person gets to receive. The next time they get to retell the story in a way that they are thankful for, for the growth. So they get time to think about that first before they retell the story. Person listening just receives, you know, just affirms, continues. The next time they get to retell a story in a whole made up language, mm. one that they, they don't even know. It's like they get to babble it out, whatever it is. Then we reflect back. And everyone says how powerful that activity is. Why? Because now all of a sudden the story that actually brought up some tough emotions again, mm -hmm. went to like, oh, I guess it wasn't so bad looking at it from the learning and the growth that came of it or what they're thankful for to it means nothing. It was actually really funny yeah. because I'm now pairing different language with it. And so that's where they get to experience like how powerful their thoughts are and the words in which and the, the direction of what we're yes. choosing to use. The other activity that really works with both kids and, and um, staff and even parents is if you take this scenario and the scenario that happened, everyone's upset about, right? You actually have the kids now get up from their desk and go stand at a different corner, a corner of the classroom. And now tell the story from that corner of the classroom. Hmm. Neat. Yeah. Younger kids or middle school changing. kids, I'd have them flip upside down, lay over their chair. Now tell the story. You know why? Because when we go inversion, if you even bend down to tie your shoes, it actually starts calming your nervous system. Love it. That's the yoga inversions of Love yoga. It. And now all of a sudden you're telling the story from a whole different, literally a different perspective. But even nervous system wise, we don't have the charge and the activation. That's again, disrupt the pattern. And mm -hmm. now all of a sudden they're seeing it like, oh, whoa, this has a whole new angle on it. I love it. And and that's the thing is that's how we can bring therapeutic practices because a lot of this, you can use the work I did with trauma. I mean, this is very similar to what we can do there. We can bring that into the classroom. We can bring that into these charged situations and nobody has to be a therapist just to infuse them into everyday practice. I mean, everything that you're teaching Shyla, is something that they can just easily infuse into everyday practice. And once they do it in your session, they don't have to go and look at a book to do it. They just go and practice once or twice or three times with you and they'll go do it. And then they can model it. Mm -hmm. So, okay. How do you see the future then of education? If, if we did more of this, more of the intuitive, uh, intuitive practice, more of the meeting kids with, for, with what they need, all of the stuff you're saying. Mm -hmm. Well, my goal would be that, yes, we don't have a curriculum for social emotional learning. It is a thing. I believe in it. I, 
clearly I'm here. That's what I, part of what I'm leading emotional intelligence and all that. However, it is really, it shouldn't be a human doing. And that's what we're making it right now in education. I think that's a lot of the pushback right there. Well, sorry, can you explain that? It shouldn't be a human doing. Talk a little little bit more about that. We're human beings. This is our being. And we need to acknowledge like labeling our emotional self, our energetic self, and just being it in the moment and being able to label it and all the layers that come with us in the moment. That's to me, that's human being and being able to play and have fun about that. We should be able to laugh about our tough emotions at times too. And we're not any longer. Yeah. And so that's where I think like the, t- the stress and the tension just builds because we keep shaking the bottle pop, you know, and it's just going to eventually what happens is it explodes. And so that's how I look at it. Like we don't right now we're teaching it as like we're human doings and we're okay. our kids that are coming in are human doings. You got to get this done. We got to get this done. We got to get this done. And the teachers are feeling like human doings. You're not yeah. your being comes first. The doing comes second. And if we're being, and we're being very powerfully and energetically and free to be me and free to play within the constraints of the community and the organization, you know, like the rules and all that, which kids will follow really, really well when they're having fun. That's why there's barely any behaviors on a field trip. Right. Right. Yeah. And you've interrupted their, their pattern. Right. Big time. If you. Yeah. If you can change that up, if you're an elementary school teacher and you're doing your own schedule, I would have math at this time one day, math at this, uh, a whole different time the next day, mm-hmm. interrupt their pattern with just simple things like that. Yeah, it and is. I- it is simple. And it's just, I think sometimes we just need to give them permission to do that. I mean, permission and, and leaders, education leaders, do you have, like, are they easier to work with or are they a little trickier to work with? Or does it, it just depends on the person I would imagine. It just depends on the person. And it's interesting, the age group in which they serve or the school that, that all shifts as well. Um, But yeah, it is really just, we have to discover who we are. What's our inside saying? What's it telling us in relation to the external world? We all get to be investigators of our own system and we all get to, you know, um, communicate that. And I think that if we can just start doing that as a society and within schools, we're going to actually acknowledge the whole self, W-H-O-L-E, and not the H-O-L-E self, because that's what we're doing in schools right now. I think we're Mm -hmm. focusing on the holes in which we have instead of our beautiful whole self, just as we are with all the holes involved, because we all come with holes. No one gets to escape from that. So true. So true. I, it's funny. I'm, I'm having a hard time questioning you because I don't know if you can tell, but I'm either rambling or I'm, I'm not asking very succinct questions. And it's because you really do, you do like make me think so much in my head right now as I, and I want to either ask a lot more or I want to reflect upon every single thing you're saying because it's like, it's so powerful. It's so very powerful. So I, I really appreciate that. Is there anything else that before we wrap this up that we need to, to share that you haven't done that yet? Like, is there anything else kind of lingering? I know there's a ton, but is there something like we really need to say this? Mm, I would say I'm just, there's so much coming forward right now. 
Um, so yeah, get me going and I'm just going to keep going. And I know I, me too. So like I want, I, I want to ask you and that and that. And I mean, well, and what people okay. may or may not know is that when you spoke at our virtual summit and, and there were, there were just so many different topics you could have, could have come up with, but really it's about creating this space for others and just being in that moment with people and allowing them to be in the moment too. And if we can do that in the classroom, we do create a natural sense of peace and calm. Tell everybody how important creating a sense of calm is. Why don't we leave it at that? How powerful is that? Yeah. So I think creating that um, environment of calm and the sense of calm allows all of us to connect with ourselves. And that's what I was going to say. Probably my biggest tip would be to take time every day to connect with self. Because when we're truly, deeply, intimately connected with ourselves, we get deeply connected with other people. And it, it helps us pick up on where other people are at right away and mm-hmm. helps us even navigate and engage in the environment in a, in a way that's responsive and healthy versus reactive and unhealthy. We, no one likes damage control. No one likes that. Again, the time that we do damage control versus the time we can spend up front and the time and energy that we spend up front is so much easier if we're doing it the right way. And so even with students, give them time to completely, by having that calm environment and providing that in those moments of just pause and space, it actually gives them time to connect with self. When I go in and lead mindfulness and they just have like one minute of complete quiet, that's it. They're like, I never realized I was thinking this. Hmm. <laughs> oh, I'm stressed. I never knew that. You know, like <laughs> they'll they'll share it or like I'm really excited about something, which is can be stress like as how it shows behavior wise, right? Mm-hmm. They start recognizing like where they're at with things mm-hmm. as well. So I think that's just the biggest thing is yeah, space and just time to be for a moment here and there. Yeah. Taking that pause. Some people get really nervous about spending that time with themselves because they have these thoughts that come up or this guilt that comes up for them. So I think if, if as long as they have a way to kind of mitigate that, but it's, it is that sense of bringing that sense of peace and calm into the day. Like it's so busy. It's so busy. Just that calm is so important, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. And just easy ways, like when you're tra- um, transitioning in the classroom, have them walk really, really slow and see who can be the quietest when they're walking. All ages rise up to that challenge. Yeah. Um, or, you know, as if the student, if the class is getting really loud, bring down your voice and just be super calm. And it will naturally mirror versus you like, we all need to settle down, stop quiet. <laughs> and you get resistance automatically. Yeah. Invite them to join you in your own sense of calm. And you, you can't argue with it. No way. <laughs> That's that part, is, part no. of what I do. <laughs> you cannot argue with that. I love it. I love it. I love it. And it's a bringing them with you. That is so great. I love that, Shyla. Okay. So if people would like to work with you, tell them what you would help them with, like how you would help them, what that looks like and how they could reach out to you. Yeah. Okay. Well, I provide various um, different services. So I come in and do professional development. Again, it's all experiential. Um, So we experience what I'm talking about first before I teach the concept or it's the both and um, to reinforce the concept. Other people, if you're a leader and you're interested in bringing this out to your staff, 
on your own, then you can get leadership co coaching. That's a lot of what I do right now. Um, and I'm writing a book on the mind, body, and soul of leadership. So it's really to cover these different elements of the, the body, what I said, like we have our cognitive self, the emotional self, all of that. Um, so they can get coaching from me. Otherwise, I'm hired to come in and consult and um, really challenging students. I can either do that remotely, where it's just me working with the team, giving all the data that you have, and I can give recommendations. Otherwise, I actually come on site to um, help staff. Sometimes I model for staff, paraprofessionals um, or teachers on how to respond to these really challenging students. Sometimes my role is to come in and just provide um, direct interaction with the student to get to know them more and bring back reports of like how the student's learning, processing information. So it's a various, and sometimes I'm brought into the team to determine if they should stay in the building or go into a more restrictive setting. But I tell you what, I have very, in my 25 years of experience working with education system, 25 years total, very few kids in, in one hand, less than five, I have referred over to a more restrictive setting. Wow. So, wow. Yeah. Um, oh my goodness. We're able to get them back on track. Really. That is amazing. It, it truly is. So if anybody is listening, then they really need to reach out. You're offering a free consultation. So if they're if like, okay, so if you're listening right now and you're struggling with that one student or you're a leader and you're working with a teacher who is constantly in your office, or they're constantly just overwhelmed. You've got to call Shyla. So Shyla, how would they reach you? They can find me on my website, which is intermatter.net, and they can just fill out a contact form and I will be in touch with them. Okay. So it's I-N-N-E-R matter.net, correct? Yeah. Intermatter.net. Check it out. Really, you're just such a great resource for people. So thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for having me. It's been fun conversation. It has. There's a million other things, you know, I could ask you, but I know this short period of time you've, you've, you've given people so many things to work with. So thanks again. Oh, thank you. Mm -hmm.